Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One is Mark and John's the co host. They're alive, they are not ghosts. It's. Five cold screams, it's five cold screams, it's a nightmare, not a dream. Five cold screams, it's five cold screams. <laughs> Hello! Welcome to Duel Queens. I'm John Flynn. I'm Mark Rennie. Mark, I am so excited about our guest this week. Please let everyone know who we've got with us. I absolutely will. He's a writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Vulture, Time, and BuzzFeed. It's Louis Peitzman. Hello. Thank you. I feel, for- so, I, feel, I feel so muted already. I can't. I don't. I, that was your intro was so good. And then I, I came in really soft. <laughs> it's right. a nice a palate cleanser, you know? And after eight. Yeah, I mean it's it's later where I am. I just I. <laughs> you are a known horror fan, am I correct? Yes, I think that's accurate. I think that's. Do you think horror has like a special? We're doing five. This is our month of five cold screams, which is all horror movies. We're right smack dab in the middle. Do you think horror has like a particular resonance for gay people? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. I, I think, you know, you, you, you guys have already done a lot of horror, it seems, on the show. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, you've probably talked about this. But, um, yeah, horror is super queer. And, I, you know, all the gays I know, um, not, not all of them, but all the sensible ones, um, <laughs> certainly, like, you know, grew up with some sort of attachment to horror. I think that, um, you know, there are lots of reasons for that. But uh, lots of weird outcast queer kids gravitate toward uh, horror movies. Do you think part of it is like because of like there's like we're happy to see a disruption of the normal world, you know, like, yeah, fuck this mainstream society. Let it all burn down. Yeah, I think that that's I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, I I just think there's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot. Yeah, there's definitely like something about horror that is inherently queer. I also think that um, we like, you know, the, we love the final girl. We love mm-hmm. identify with the final girl. Apparently straight men also do that, but you know, it's, it's better when we do it. And um, 
like most things. It's better. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think also like horror, like, you know, I love horror. I love musicals. I love Real Housewives. Like those are my three big things. Hello, and they I didn't all, overlap. <laughs> but, they, but they really are all kind of these like grand operatic, you know, high camp. Like they're, they kind of are, are in similar worlds for me. There's a lot of overlap there. Um, and wouldn't and so, Karen Huger be an amazing final girl? She would be an iconic final girl. Um, <laughs> and I, and I think, yeah, I mean, housewives is kind I mean, it's sort of a horror series in some ways. I some do seasons I, more than others. And I, and I, and I, and I'm not, it's not because Adrian Maloof has like a jigsaw thing happening right now. It's because, <laughs> is that too much? I, I no. it was by choice. It was by choice. You can't mock someone's appearance, and if it's by choice, it's different. Um, I for it, you can talk about. Yeah, it's not. I mean, she was married to a plastic surgeon, you know, but he's not looking great either. He has had some weird fillers done as well. We were just talking about Madonna because of this (laughs) very exact thing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track, but the, the, yes, there is, there is real horror to the Housewives series, and, um. And I and I, I appreciate it. There's definitely overlap there. Now, where are the great horror musicals? What is Sweeney Todd and what else? Are there any yeah, Little Shop of there's, Horrors? There's, little yeah, Shop, yeah. of course, which I, I mean, should have known because yes. we've covered that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I yes, yeah, Sweeney Todd, Little Shop, those are the big ones. Um, Carrie the Musical Carrie. is, you know, uh, John loves uh, that one. It's a a notorious one. flop, but it's also amazing. It has yeah. an incredible score um and you know will one day get its due uh, i when i was in high school i was obsessed with bat boy the musical i was just gonna say bat boy's another one yeah which never uh made it to broadway uh one of the it was a sad victim of 9-11 i i shouldn't call it a victim of 9-11 but it was a sh- <laughs> some would say a- the saddest it, well <laughs> the truest was, tragedy of that it day. was it was it was a show that uh you know it was a, it was in union square it was off broadway and uh, when 9-11 happened, it kind of killed a uh, box office uh, for that show because it, you know, it was just too kind of too close to that whole thing. Um, but yeah, yeah and it was Bat also Boy like timing wise, it was so like about to, it was like get, gaining popularity. Yeah, you know, I really, I've been like dying for, for, you know, a Bat Boy transfer to Broadway, you know, 20 years later, but uh, not yet. Um, <laughs> But there's others. There's there's like been like more than one Dracula musical. There's you know, Dance of the Vampires. There's mm-hmm. um, I saw that. Has there one. ever that been one that's like? Is there? Because I saw the play here in L.A., so I know that doesn't count. But um, the Woman in Black, and that was like genuinely scary. Has there ever been like a Broadway moment or show that's like actually scary? I don't know if there's ever been a scary musical. Well, I mean, I, I will say I've seen some Sweeney Todd's that were like Sweeney a little Todd, creepy. Yeah. Um, the last revival of Sweeney Todd uh, was in a, they converted the theater into a pie shop. So you, it was, it was like an immersive mm-hmm. kind of, you ate pie. It was fine. But it was like, <laughs> it was like, it was scary because like Sweeney Todd would like appear behind you and start singing. And that's very jarring. So um, that sure. was scary. But there, but there has been like horror on Broadway. You know, there's been like scary plays. Um, you know, there's the, the Pillow Man and, and, and uh, what am I thinking? Wait Until Dark. Um, was a play, and so I there's definitely I mean, technically uh, fan of the opera is kind of a horror, 
Yes, there is. But in terms of things that actually would scare you, right? Yeah. Although, I, yeah. when I well, when, well, when I was a kid, that chandelier scared the crap out of me because <laughs> it it just it just comes right at you. But I saw. I've said this before. I saw the TV <laughs> ad for it, and it shows like it looks like it's a thing at Disneyland where the ad it like swoops above your head. Then I saw it at the Pantages here, and this thing's like going down like there's a senior citizen lowering it on a rope. Right. It was right. a crawl. I was almost left. It's not, it's not, it's not quite the same. That is, that is true. But it also is the Pantages, which is a huge barn. Yes. Not, not my favorite theater. No. Excuse me. It's all I have. I, I, I grew up in LA. I I saw plenty of shows of the Pantages. Sure. Sure. So I feel like I can say that it's not my favorite theater. You're allowed. I'll, I'll allow it. Um, Speaking of theatrical horror to some extent, (laughs) today we're talking, today we're talking Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. John, tell us what's the deal with Hellbound, Hellraiser 2? Mark, let me tell you the deal with Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Uh, It was directed by Tony Randall, not the Tony Randall from The Odd Couple, different Tony Randall, uh, with a screenplay by Peter Atkins based on a story by Clive Barker. It is the second entry in the Hellraiser saga, which consists of 10 films and a series of books and comic books. And the entire franchise is based on the novella The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. It tells the story of Dr. Philip uh, Chenard, the head of a psychiatric prison, who meddles with a satanic puzzle cube that opens the gateway to the hell-like realm of the Cenobites, an order of monsters who harvest human souls to torture in sadistic experiments. So Christy, who was brought into Dr. Chenard's institution after the death of her father and evil stepmother in the first film, returns to the Cenobite world to save her dead father. And with the help of Tiffany, a teenage girl at the institution who unknowingly assisted Dr. Chenard in opening the box, they must find a way to solve the puzzle and force the demons back to hell and close the gateway behind them. It stars Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence, Kenneth Cranham, Imogene Borman, William Hope, and Doug Bradley as the lead cinephile Pinhead. It was initially rated X by the Motion Picture Association of America. And Clive Barker attributed this to because the movie prefers explicit displays of grotesque rather than just hinting at it. It was released on December 23rd in 1988, Merry Christmas. And it grossed over $12 million off a budget of $3 million. And Roger Ebert wrote that Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 is like some kind of avant-garde film strip in which there is no beginning, no middle, no end, but simply a series of gruesome images that can be watched in any order. And that is the deal with Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Wow. So, Lewis, we asked we asked you to pick a horror movie. Why Hellbound, Hellraiser 2? I mean, it I, I feel like it's it should be, you know, self-evident, but I, I will I will explain. <laughs> Please. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I have to say you you've talked about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which is, you know, yes. kind of the the quintessential gayest horror movie ever made. Um However, I, I came into the Hellraiser series later and uh, was just like delighted by it. Um, Clive Barker obviously is actually a queer writer. Um, and, and, you know, the Hellraiser series is weird because it's, it's obviously very sexual, uh, the story more so than, than the movie, um, which kind of focuses on the torture and less on the sexual side of that. Um, but the Cenobites are like, you know, pleasure demons who mm-hmm. take it too far. You know, they, 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 uh, they're, they're, they're kinky, but they, you know, they have no, there's no safe word. It just, it kind of is a whole torture <laughs> thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I, I, I saw Hellraiser and then Hellraiser 2, uh, 
the character of Julia is just such a <laughs> such an icon to me that I like instantly fell in love and was like, this is actually the gayest horror movie ever made. Um, this is like so important to me because there is this incredible drag performance happening, um, you know, in the middle of hell. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, John, what's your uh, history with Hellraiser? This is your first time in the Hellraiser world. Yes, I have not seen any of the I had not seen any of the Hellraiser movies before. So I watched the first one and then uh, the second one. Uh, I, um, I there there a lot. I did not. I had never seen them before. I'm curious. What is the deal with Pinhead? I feel like I've only seen the first two movies, so I don't know like what his deal. Like I know a little bit of his backstory. I know he was once human and then became one of these Cinnabon. I keep wanting to call them Cenobites. Cenobites, excuse me. Cine- Cinnabons. Uh-huh. The whole time. <laughs> Every time I was like, they sound like a dessert you would get from Domino's. Um, I, like what, does he have powers? Like what is he, what can he do? Other than so, just like bring a Shakespearean gravitas to. Well, uh, he's, he's, he has a very sexy voice. So there's true. that. Um, and, and he was, yes, he was once human. Um, the Cenobites are, you know, I, I think that I've gotten some of the backstory from the, the, um, from, from reading about the story. I have not actually read the novella, but um, the movie is, as Ebert pointed out, kind of a hot mess. And so it's not, mm-hmm. the, it's not the easiest way to, to figure out context. You kind of have to look for things elsewhere. But um, yeah, they were these, you know, they're people who were seeking pleasure and um, ended up in this sort of hell dimension where they keep taking things farther and farther. They kind of self-mutilate and, um, you know, just distort their bodies to become these demons but it's all in the service of like finding the ultimate uh pleasure and and the victims of pinhead and the other cenobites are people who are seeking out this you know mm-hmm. incredible orgasm or whatever it is um in in the first movie you know evil evil uncle frank uh gets taken by them first and then comes back but it's um you know the the father bleeds on the spot on the ground where he was taken and then it right. opens up this gateway. Um, but in the story I learned, um, it's like blood and cum that he had, uh, you know, he had uh, ejaculated on there. So it's like a lot more overt about the, the sexual aspect of it. Um, I mean, if that's not Clive Barker in a nutshell, yeah. I don't know what, <laughs> it's, what blood, it is. It's, it's all blood yeah. and cum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of pinhead himself, I think it's just, you know, he's happy. He's one of the random Cenobites, but I think because, like you said, this this actor has such gravitas that like he kind of became the dominant figure in the mythology. I don't think that he actually has more power than the others. But like, uh, what are his like? You know how like with Freddy Krueger, you know, like sort of like I I still not clear like what he can do, what his powers are. He's a priest of hell, and like I think his powers only work when he's in hell. You know, he yeah, can I bring mean, a change. I, I, from- I, exactly. I think it's it's it, he's there to torture you in a sexy way. Yeah. Or- have sex with you in a torture way and it happens kind of like, when, you, when you're in hell you have to open the gateway that's what the puzzle right. box is for so mm-hmm. he's not gonna he's not haunting your dreams you have to kind of ask for it and and you know seek out this uh chain sexy chain thing happening but <laughs> they say in this one that he does point out like it's not hands that brought it like hands don't bring us here desire does yeah so i think it's your desire your want for something more for the extreme is what kind of be care it's really a case of careful what you wish for yeah i mean the the first line of the movie is is what's your pleasure sir which is you know i'm sure we've, we've all heard sexually <laughs> and um <laughs> but but yes it's like the idea is that people are are seeking uh pleasure like the ultimate it's the, like the ultimate sexual experience 
Um, and then the Cenobites show up and you're kind of like, shit, these are scarier oh. than I imagined. <laughs> and at that point, it's too late. So did you enjoy this, John? Do you enjoy as a new, as a virgin, did you enjoy your experience with Hellraiser? Judging by uh, your face? I'm I would say I mixed. got there. There was a lot like the Also, like, I don't, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but like the opening, like first like five minutes or so of this movie is was so confusing that I thought I had like somehow skipped to the end or something like that. Um, once I sort of got into it, I was like, okay, but I, I have to say I never was, I rarely felt confident in that I knew the mythology or what exactly was happening or what it meant. Fair enough. But it still like had some fun <laughs> visuals and interesting thrills and all that stuff. But I was a lot of times like, what is this? What's happening right now? But that's all right. How about you, Mark? What is your story with? Uh, well, I remember I saw Hellbound. I saw Hellraiser. I think I saw Hellraiser three in the theater, and I hadn't. So that was the first one I saw. And that one also has like this hunky artist dude, like is the one who invites in, who opens the box essentially. Um, and I remember thinking these are interesting because like there's a really <laughs> hot guy covered in oil and always like mm -hmm. getting tortured. I'm like, well, that's fun. And then so I've seen the first two <laughs> a few times, and I really seen them. I also watched the first one again just to, like refresh. And seeing them back to back, it is like I do think part two is like a better, more well made movie because I like that it just blows out the world more. I like that we see sure. more of hell, and I like seeing everything that happens. It's just like a fucked up Alice in Wonderland to me is mm -hmm. what this one was like. Um, so I thought it was a black, I don't know, I thought it was great. And I also like that uh, Pinhead is like fair. You know, he has yeah, like- Yeah, he's a very, he's a very, he's a, he's a very, first he makes a deal with her in the first movie. In the second movie, he's very grateful that she reminds him of his past as a human. Yeah. He's, he's mm -hmm. relatively chill for a, you know, a, a hell sex demon. For a slap, <laughs> yeah. And for like a horror icon, he's like one of the most like dignified. Yes. You know, like I could see him at like a wine tasting or something. Absolutely. Sure. I just love Napa. He's, he's classy. <laughs> he's very classy. Well, Lewis, as you may or may not know, but I think you do, we are looking for the gayest movie ever. So we have a very complex and Byzantine scoring system appropriate for this movie that we're going to judge the movie. We're going to go through a bunch of categories. We're each in the first group of categories. We're each going to give it a score out of zero to 100. Then we take the average of all three. Then there's some bonus categories and you'll see. And at a certain point, you are going to add a category to our scoring system, which will then be added to, the, to wheel. the wheel. You'll see what that means. So it's a you're going to add a category that we could then use moving forward on it every other movie. Okay, I'm already terrified, but I'm I'm ready. <laughs> You're perfect. Let me tell you, this is our current top five of our horror movies. This is the current rankings. Um, so this is their percentage out of 100, obviously. So uh, with a 51.85% Sleepaway Camp, 53.32% Scream, 61.81% Midsummer, 64.92% Ginger Snaps, and number one with a 71.84% Interview with the Vampire. Fascinating. Okay. <laughs> so, so before we get started, do you have a prediction of where how well you think Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 is going to do? Um, I would love for it to be Sleepaway Camp. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. It's Great. I mean it's a, it's a it's a it's a low bar. Um <laughs> it is a it is certainly less problematic than Sleepaway Camp. So it has That's that true. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, I mean it's problematic in different ways. How's that? Sure, true. Definitely. All right. Well, let's see if we beat Sleepaway Camp. That's a noble goal. So our first category, how would you rate Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, on a scale of 0 to 100 in the category, Actual Gay Characters? 
you also do not have to go first if you don't want to. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you should, uh, I'll, I'll think about it. So okay, I'll, think I'll, about we also it like first. talk about it usually first. Yeah, so yeah, like, you don't just jump out with a number. Okay, great, great, great. <laughs> so, so I mean, I don't know. I know, right? That's why it's fun for us. <laughs> None of the, the human characters uh, appear gay to me in this movie. Am I? Although Frank probably has dabbled, I assume. Which I would Frank? hope so. Frank, the guy from the first one who then like oh, is gotcha, skinless, gotcha. like, because he's like research. Imagine like searching the ends of the earth for ultimate and pleasure and not like sucking one cock. That's, <laughs> That's a good the point. most. Obscene I mean, thing. I mean, I would, I would, <laughs> I would hope that you at least tried gay sex before jumping to chain torture stuff. Like, let that exactly. be a step on the path. I mean, I mean, unless you know what you like. Um, but yeah, you'd think that someone, it, even if it's just not one on one, a, a dick would be somehow in the mix at some points. Sure. But uh, but we don't actually see him. But I wouldn't call him gay. I don't know. But he's definitely queer. I would Is say this. We never see it though. But he's not. He <laughs> doesn't do anything queer. In so this movie. to say he's definitely queer is perhaps not true. Is what you're I saying? I mean, we can infer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's definitely queer. We never see it. It never happens, and no one ever talks about it. But it's undeniable right. that it's there. Um, there was that. I mean, are the the Cenobites at all? Like what? It, do any of the? Do we get to know I, I what's his name? Like Chatter or the Chubby Guy anymore? Butterball. 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 Respect his chosen name. <laughs> um, I apologize. I apologize. So I, I again, I haven't read the comics. I haven't. I don't know the full backstory. These characters all have backstory. Um, some of them, like in the comics, do gay stuff because it's Clive Barker. Some of them sure. in the in the you know the stories and spinoffs and all of that. Um, I think the Cenobites are all pansexual. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're horny for pain, but like it can have a dick in it. It can, it, it's not like, it, they're, they're not, it's not like pain pinhead. can have a dick in it. Yeah. It's not like Pinhead is exclusively sexually torturing uh, women. You know, he is, he's all genders can, can apply to Pinhead's world of pain. Um, it's a very inclusive uh, sexual hell world. <laughs> and I think, you know, Leviathan, that like thing in the sky, yeah. uh, that's, a, that's sort of phallic. That could be a queer uh, creation. Also, there's the weird when when Doctor Chenard becomes a Cenobite and like the dick enters his head and he yes. becomes like a weird, uh, <laughs> an extremely phallic Cenobite. Like that to me is uh, is queer representation. So I think that these characters may not be gay, but they are they are queer. Not okay. all of them. Not Kirsty, sure. but the, but 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 the ones that matter. <laughs> sure. the women don't matter um, oh no 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 Ju julia, julia matters and julia is in fact uh extremely queer um do we if think only so? because i i just not those literally but uh, sensibility I, I, in yes yes i mean i i i i want you know it's it's tough because i want like if, when i see a powerful murderer uh murderous woman in a film mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, that's a gay man because like, I want, you know, sure. she's a woman and I want, you know, to her to own that and, and kill people on her terms. But um, <laughs> there's something about her that is very, like she does have this drag queen thing and she is a top. Um, Definitely. You know, women can be tops, but she literally, you know, she gets behind that guy cutting himself in bed and kind of fucks him to death. Um, and, and she, she just, I don't know, there's something about her that feels a little bit on the line too. So, um, I know I'm pushing it here. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can, canonically, canonically, there's very, there's not a lot of gay representation, but I think because of the Clive Barker of it all and these like, you know, 
sex demons that'll kind of mm-hmm. do whatever. I think I think there's queerness in the characters. Okay. So if you had to give that a number between zero and a hundred, what would you think it would be? I mean, I maybe like a forty. Forty. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was gonna go lower, but you guys have made a very strong case, so I'm gonna go thirty-five. Thirty-five. Um, I'm gonna go forty as well. That seems right to me, given an average of thirty-eight point thirty-three. All right, our next category on a scale of zero to a hundred: drag queen inspiration. Could a drag queen watch Hellbound and come away with a whole book of ideas? I would say so. Absolutely, and I, I, I've seen, I, I've seen like Pinhead inspired drag, so I know that exists. I mean, yeah, Even you just think, like, Dragula cause... is all over this. Yeah, I right? mean, I, 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 I am not a, I'm not a drag expert, and I, if anyone's listening and already judging me um, for what I've said that's wrong, <laughs> I apologize. But I, I know that there's been pinhead drag. Um, I would be shocked if no one has done a Julia thing. I think that she is so. I mean, come on. I like, think her wardrobe in this, though, like her dress was sort of like, sort of underwhelming. But I loved when she was wearing gauze, blood seeping through it, great, and yeah. in the dress. Yes. I thought that was an inspire. I mean, that's an iconic look, I would say. That's, that's, that's really elevating a garment, I would say. <laughs> just she, adding gauze just takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. And then with the blood I mean, eyes. I mean, just being skinless. Like, where's that drag? That's a drag look. Just being totally skinless and covered in slime. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And then I we was, have, we have, you know, at the end we have, we have Kirsty in full Julia drag when she's literally wearing. Literally, that's skin. true. <laughs> that's she true. was the first to do Julia drag. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and none have done it better. Uh, I also Googled uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 and drag. And I found there's a drag queen named Sticks and Stones. Oh, very good. Uh, and she's all a uh, Hellbound, Hell, or at least Hellraiser uh, inspired drag. So yeah, I think there's, it's a, it's a, it's a subset of drag, but there definitely is a, a drag. I also think uh, you could do, I think the Cenobites have such like a strong overall design and like a unified look, but they're all like unique in their own that you could take, you could come up with your own Cenobite essentially. Like at the House of Cenobite? Yeah, the House of Cenobite. I think- Oh, I love that. Right? (laughs) Also, there was that guy who was like juggling his own eyes. Yeah, that was fun. That was very fun. (laughs) And all the clowns, it's very kitschy. I love it. It's so good. Um, so I think there's a lot of, so what would you give it for zero to a hundred, Lewis? For, for drag inspiration? For drag queen mm-hmm. inspiration. I'm going to give it an 85. 85. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I'll go 83. 83, just got a, just a little, you know, larger derision. You don't, don't see you it know. every day. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it an 88 because I really like the gauze and the dress work. I just, I just, I have to point out, because we're talking about Julia and I'm sure she'll come up again hopefully constantly sure she has my she has my favorite line in many horror films when she says uh i'm no longer the whippets oh that was a great one queen and the reason i love that line is because the wicked stepmother is the evil queen in uh in snow white which she's referencing so it's not it doesn't actually make sense but i i just i i like there's like a a failure of internal logic but she sells it so well it doesn't even matter Maybe she's only been on the Disneyland ride and doesn't understand the <laughs> doesn't whole she nuances doesn't of the she story. Doesn't, she doesn't get it. She thinks the evil queen fell off a cliff. That's, mm. She doesn't get it. Terrifying ride. <laughs> They're changing it. They're softening it. Isn't that a disappointing though? Really? Yeah, because yeah, right. it's been too, it's called Snow White's Scary Adventure. It's right there in the title. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know what anyone's complaining about. 
But I mean, Tampa it, scared me as a, it scared me as a child, and it should scare other children. Absolutely, that's only fair. I think kids should be should be scared a little bit now and again. I think yeah, it's important. It's healthy. Yeah, I no, I agree. All right, our next category on a scale of zero to one hundred: gay icons. I mean, well, Julia. Yes, I think Julia's Julia's up there. But is she share? No, she's not. She's share. not share. No, 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 no. <laughs> I not even share from Clueless. <laughs> no, who is? <laughs> I think Clive Barker is definitely a gay icon, and his like fingerprints are all over this. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, this clearly was was the queerness of this is like not as overt as his as any of his work. Obviously, it's it's a little bit more Hollywood as. It's not a very Hollywood movie, but it's. I mean, he named a movie Nightbreed for God's sake, right? Right. I mean, like, <laughs> he, he he's not. It's it's not as certainly not as gay as Clive Barker can be. It's right. like, it's like a much you know, it's it's a it's a it's not really a straight movie, but it's not as as queer as Clive Barker can be. But I still think that like, the Clive Barker name carries with it, uh, just you know, a big a big heaping helping of gayness that, mm-hmm. that comes to the territory absolutely julia i read was supposed like they had intended her to be sort of like the little linchpin of the franchise but then after the first movie everyone was all about pinhead so then he sort of became the the, the centerpiece of it all yeah i mean i i it makes sense to me visually because he's you know yeah. a very distinctive character and and it was at a time when there were so many, you know, we had all these kind of like slasher villains that had these very distinctive looks and yet he stands out. It's not a mask. It's, it's, you know, a weird leather getup and mm-hmm. nails all over. Um, it's a very clean look. Yeah. It's sleek. It's a great, it's a <laughs> yeah. great profile. It's, mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, but Julia should have been the, I mean, I would, I would watch 10 movies with Julia. I have seen all of the Hellraiser movies and um, they could have used more Julia. I mean, it'd be like, you know, how Adele releases albums. and they, Like, imagine if there was like a 70-year-old Julia, like, kicking ass now. That'd be great. <laughs> how <laughs> many lived in that world. How many, is, is she, does she appear in many of the other movies, or is it just these first two? Just, just the first two. Just That's the first too bad. Two. So they, they released four movies in theaters. Uh, the fourth one is truly absurd because it's part, there's a flashback to, I believe, the 18th century, starring sure. Adam Scott in a, in a wig. He's like a, a French... I don't know, something or other. Uh, wow. And then it also takes place in space in the future. Perfect. So it, Great. It's, I mean, um, if you're doing 10, you got to go. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, but that's, the, that was the last one in theaters and the rest of them were, were direct to uh, video at the time. And uh, they are loosely, you know, Hellraiser movies. They're, they're pretty much like independent stories in which Pinhead randomly appears. So they're not so much part of like a series. It's kind of like, we have this horror movie we want to make. Could we throw in a Cenobite? <laughs> I did read the, I went through the Wikipedia entry for every single one of them and read the plots for all of them and the production history of all of them because that's what else you're going to do with your free time. And there were like three or four instances where someone already had an existing yes. horror script. Yeah. Name, not connected to Hellraiser at all. And they just said, well, let's make this a pinhead movie. Yeah, they, they, there's a weird one with like Lance Henriksen. It's like a virtual reality horror movie. And it's about, I forget that I've seen it, but I forget because it was terrible. Um, and then they were like, what if Pinhead? And, and that was the whole prompt and they just, they ran with it. But those movies are not gay. There's very little queerness to that, you know, because it's, there's no Clive Barker, you know, it's just, right. it's just Pinhead him? hanging out. Apparently they're working on a HBO Max series of Hellraiser. I, you know, they've been talking about redoing it for so long, um, and I, I don't really want 
straight people making <laughs> anything and well anything but i but i really no i i mean i really in the same way that like i think um it's so great speaking of clive barker properties that candy man has been sort of redone by a yeah. black woman i think that like you know it's candy man is a story that 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 you know because of it of what it, of what it is and its its origin like very much deserves to be you know retold by a black woman and i think that like uh hellraiser deserves to be retold by um an extremely kinky uh hell sex demon and i i'm ready for that to happen um but i will settle for like uh, a queer person well speaking of <laughs> queer people what do we want to score this on gay icons right um i'll let you guys go first i'm gonna yeah okay i feel like i get i don't disagree that Pinhead is an icon, especially when it comes to horror. But as far as like a gay icon, I don't think he's like, to me, I didn't, I don't, I don't get that necessarily. And as someone who didn't watch the franchise before, I definitely could recognize him and knew what he was. So I feel like he, he is iconic in a way, but I wouldn't say he's a gay icon necessarily. But Clive Barker is, I'm just going to be pretty low for me. I'm not going to go, I'm going to go 40. 40. That's higher than I thought you were going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go, I'm also going to go 40, I think. I'm going to go 50. 50. Give me an average of 43.33, which is higher than Midsommar, which only has a five in gay icons. <laughs> so pretty good. All right. The next category, the male gaze. And by this, we mean how horny is the camera for the male form? Interesting. I mean, I I think that the scene where uh, Frank is trying to fuck his niece, and um, <laughs> that's what's happening, and he absolutely yeah, let's call it what he, it is, and he he calls her you know ripe and luscious, and then says, "Don't be naughty, or I'll have to punish you, and you might like it." Um, I I think the camera is pretty horny for him in that scene. He's maybe I was just horny for him in that scene where mm -hmm. he is wearing, you know, he's sweaty and in hell and um, yes. he looks really good. And I, I don't know. I think that he is more of like, there, there's more horniness for him than like for, for Julia. Cause he definitely just like radiates like a sexual energy. Like he's constantly, he's like a walking penis essentially. Yes. And I, and I, yeah. what I love is that his, his, like personal hell is that there are all these writhing bodies around <laughs> yeah. him, but he can't touch them. And like, that's, that's the hell. Everyone else is being tortured, but he's just being tortured with blue he's balls. Denied, like that is, yeah. that is his, that is his torture. Um, I don't Basically know. I an incel. Yeah, no, he absolutely. And he, and he turns to incest, which, um, you know, is a, is a choice. I think that, uh, that scene alone, there's a lot of, uh, male gaze. For sure. I think and there was also the one shot. I appreciated the lady having a three-way with two guys in that weird, like, slow motion. Yeah, oh, right. Dr. Chenard is walking through hell. Mm -hmm. um, there's that one weird, I don't know. Then she turns into Julia, right? Yes, yes. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was also, they did, it is from the first movie, but they do the flashback. I think they use different shots for the flashbacks of Frank and Julia having sex. I mean, like you see yeah, they did look back. like new. Yeah. And he looked great. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will say that made me laugh about that scene, though, was like when he is sort of threatening her and then he takes out the switchblade. And at that point, after all we've seen, that switchblade seems adorable. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, you can't really <laughs> compete. People like, bring, but... like drills to the brain and like weird like sighs across their neck. And he's like, Meh. here's my butter knife. 
I, I looked up the director um, to see if he was a gay man, because like, I hoped. Um, and, and under the personal life section of his Wikipedia, it says that he is married with two children, does not say to a man or woman, um, but it does say- he's definitely gay. He does say, in addition to his film career, he has stated that his other love is radio, which is a little bit queer. Um, sure, Radio so, Gaga. Sure. So let's he also, let's just say yes. He did. I don't know if you've seen it, but he. I just watched this a few a month or two ago. Amityville '92. It's about time he directed this. Amity. It's an Amityville movie, but it's about a haunted clock. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's also oh, it's about time. It's about time, and there's yeah. time travel. Uh, I think it's it's actually really fun. It's on Shutter. I recommend it. Um, all right, so what do we want to give Hellbound for the male gaze? I, I mean, maybe I'm being too generous, but I'm gonna it's give okay. it a, a, I'm gonna, someone has to be. I'm gonna give it a six, <laughs> a, I'm gonna give it a 65. 65. Uh, it, what, one thing that I was sort of struggling knowing that I was gonna have to answer these questions and watching it was that I feel you like- knew this was happening. I though. knew this was coming and I struggled. Was that I feel like this movie, for some people, if you have a certain fetish, this movie is like your Christmas. Like this movie like hits a spot for, I think, certain people that I don't think it hits for me, not that I'm judging anyone or want anyone to feel wow, shame. Wow, John, wow. The shame <laughs> here is unbelievable. Wow. Um, but John, I, John, you like to say, uh, don't yuck my yum. Well, you're doing it right I now. Don't, <laughs> no, I don't like saying that. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't feel like a, it didn't feel like a very like horny movie to me. What? Hellbound Hellraiser 2 doesn't feel horny? It's one of the horniest movies I've ever, people are constantly horny. I guess. You guess. Uh, it's all about desire. The whole yeah. thing is about desire and want. Sure, sure. Pleasure uh, and pain. I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a 35. Wow. <laughs> Not a horny movie. It's called I've never kink heard. shaming. That's what it is. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give it a 45 for the male. Okay, days. so so less kink shaming. Yeah. I have to say though, I actually I actually do think in all in all seriousness that like there is this film could have used like a kink consultant because I think that a lot of for sure it, it, it is I, I get what you're saying and that like it's definitely kind of you know approaching the kink world, but there's there's so little actual sex in it that it's not clear what you're supposed to be getting off to, and that's sort of like. You know, I think because they the movie couldn't be as horny as the as the book. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, it's not really clear. Like these are these are sex demons, but you never really get that from the movie. It cut you by illusion. You don't really you don't really mm -hmm. uh, see or understand how they're sex demons. Yeah, it is also crazy if you think about this movie. What year did this come out? Eighty seven. Eighty eight. 88 like it's kind of like the height of AIDS like people yeah. were terrified of gay sex at the time mm -hmm. so I wonder even if leaning in more to that was just too taboo I don't know but they could have done it I mean you know the first movie definitely has more uh heterosexual yes. uh copulation um I I think it's it's weird that like Pinhead seems kind of sexless uh mm -hmm. but like he's not he's not only there to like tear you apart with chains like at some point, you, you, he's got to take out his, I don't know, nail penis and whatever. Like, there has to be more to it than that. Um, we, Because we know that, you know, Frank, when he was taken in the story, like, bled a lot, but also came. So there, there was something yeah. happening that was also sexual. Um, I'm not sure how that works exactly. But, you know, there's, <laughs> the, you know, there's the centipede woman who has, like, a vagina on her neck. Right. Yes. So, like... <laughs> 
something's happening there. Um, I think they're called, yeah. aren't like the Cenobites considered, they're like, because a Cenobite is essentially a priest. Like that's not, Clyde Barker didn't make up that word. Mm -hmm. That's a real thing. I think, but aren't they like the order of the gash, I think is what they're yes, called. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Clyde Barker has no problems with female sexuality. There's nothing weird nothing happening weird. there. Nope. No there issues. is no vagina shaming. It's just, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I do, yes. I think that we could have used a kink consultant and maybe um, some, some more overt representation of like the, the horny side of things. But I still gave it that score because I think Frank looks really good when he's doing yeah. his incest thing. I respect it. And it's also, yeah. there is something more attractive about him, the fact that he's dubbed. I don't know why that is. <laughs> it makes it feel more otherworldly or something. I don't know. Sure, it sure. elevates him in some way. All right. Our next category, entrances with pizzazz. I got to say, there are a ton of entrances with pizzazz. There are a bunch pizzazz. of those. I think Julia, I mean, Julia coming, out, coming out, of that mattress. out of the mattress. Yes. Classic. Yes, queen. I mean, there's like a drag show act right there. Just burst out of a mm -hmm. bloody mattress. When you're talking about entrances, yes. does it count when the um, when the giant penis enters Chenard's head? <laughs> I would say, if you course, wanted to, would, sure. Yeah, it's how you want pizzazz. to interpret the category. I would, I would, I would call that an entrance with pizzazz, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think also when Doctor Canard is a Cenobite, every time he enters, he's saying something quippy. He's saying he's really making it like the doctor is in. Like he's right. really making. He makes a meal. He loves this guy. Loves being a Cenobite. Well, I think I, I mean, I think about having sex with a centibite or whatever it is. The thing about your your sexy torture experience is that it would be so wordy. I mean, they really talk a lot and they're very um <laughs> right. They're very dramatic and they're and they're and they like, you know, it's at one point they accuse Kirstie of being a tease because she keeps like <laughs> yes. summoning them and then not putting out. But they're kinda of, they kinda of seem like maybe they're all talk. Because they, they say love things a like, "I have, I have yeah. such sights to show you," and you know, I'm gonna, but, I'm your, your suffering will be legendary even in hell. And it's like, okay, but get on with it, you know, right. like that feels like a lot of S and M though, where it's just like it's all about like the posturing and the show of it, and you're just like, okay, the play, yeah, it's like you know, a little like. Uh, Let's get to it. You know what I mean? The theatrics, okay. Right. You I mean, know? as you pointed as you pointed out, Pinhead's like kind of a softie because ultimately he's like, you reminded me of my past humanity. I feel bad now. I'm grateful, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna just I'm gonna just die now. Right. Um. I mean, he's murdered, but he, he still he kind of like lets go of the whole killing thing and uh, just hangs out while he's killed. Uh, the moment when Tiffany finally opens the box, that is very theatrical. And then even within mm -hmm. that, like of the Cenobites emerging from like the sides when the walls move. And then within that, Pinhead himself has like a really great entrance. Anytime you're backlit by like a big yeah. spotlight, that's a great entrance. <laughs> when like a wall that is not supposed to <laughs> opens up. Yeah. Yes. That's It's like Chicago almost. <laughs> it was like, and you could say Frank had it coming. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> I think the enter the first time we see Dr. Kennard, like he's doing that speech about the mind as a labyrinth and all. Like I feel that's oh, like right. a really great setup for his. Like that's a good entrance to his character. Mm -hmm. I think when Julia comes out of those bandages for the first time, that's kind of yes. pizzazzing. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know. You're, I thought, so you're, this movie's overflowing with pizzazz. I think it's it's really up there. I think it's I thought it was pretty great, especially for like such a low budget. I thought this one looked like it had like three times the budget of the first one. I don't know. This one looked great. I thought. So what do you want I, to give it? For I, 
I think I'll give it an 85. 85. Uh, I was going to give it an 85 as well. 85. You know what? I'll complete the trifecta and give it an 85. <laughs> give it an average of 85, which is the highest we've done in the last seven episodes. <laughs> All right. So, eat shit, mermaids. 52.33. <laughs> Watch your back, sleepaway camp. All right. You're going to make up a lot of points here, Lewis. <laughs> Next category, strident women. Oh, okay. Well, um, hello. I I don't know if I don't know if I've mentioned that I have an affection for Julia. Um, yeah, the character of Julia. I'll just I'll I'll put that out there again. I do think that you know Kirsty is not like my favorite final girl by any means, but I do think she actually is like uh, ultimately kind of great. Like she's she's she when she kind of when she puts on Julia's skin and kisses the Cenobite doctor and, and, you know, does that yes, whole thing. That's like, a risk. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Um, she's strident. Uh, uh, my she, favorite moment that she had in this entire movie is when she's, she and what's his name uh, are going to sneak out and leave. Kyle, was that his name? McC McCray, yes. whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she opens like her closet and none of the clothes are there. And she just goes, shit. And she just like yells it so loud. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. She's very fun. She also like yells at the cop like, who the fuck are you? Like really loud. Yeah, she's, 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 uh, she's feisty. She's um, no I shrinking mean, Violet. I also like appreciate any horror movie and there are many where the men are just like so useless and <laughs> yes. yeah. she has this kind of like vague love interest character. I mean, she had a boyfriend in the first movie, but she has this guy who's helping her and then he's just like instantly killed by Julia. Um, yes. and serves no purpose but to help Julia get her skin back. So, um, yeah, the men are useless and the women are... are he, well, now, to be fair, her. he did get Kiersey some clothes. He, he said, I'll get you that. some clothes, yes. I can do that, I'm a doctor. And, and yes, good good, <laughs> good for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, Julia, like, you know, Frank is all talking a big game, then Julia pulls his heart out. It's just, it's, it's the women are clearly uh, the, the, the stars here. Definitely. I mean, she Julia is one of the most strident women I've seen in a movie, I think. Exceptionally strident. She's exceptionally strident. <laughs> John, do you disagree? I completely agree, but I also think we haven't even talked about uh, the female Cenobite. I mean, the fact that they only call her female Cenobite is <laughs> very <laughs> insulting. But didn't they all sort of not really have names at the beginning? Like, his name initially wasn't Pinhead. I think it was lead Cenobite or something. Yeah, or I guess Cenobite. also like in the original script, they gave some of his lines to like the Chatterer and like Butterball, yeah, but they, they, all they couldn't lines, talk. Yeah. Incredible so, like, that, that they gave him the name Pinhead, which is not uh, <laughs> not really a name that matches his personality or demeanor, no. but like, you know, good for them. Why um, isn't Pinhead reading uh, Shakespeare sonnets on Instagram like Patrick Stewart does? I feel like that would break the internet, as they say. Is, is he on Cameo? I feel like we could probably get that that to happen um i mean i think the most strident thing about the female cenobite is that she has her vagina on display as her neck wound um daring you to look away do you think if you look at it she goes my eyes are up here she's not like it's not literally her vagina but like you know who are we kidding represents i mean who knows it's uh yeah yeah exactly um no i mean yes i think we all agree that julia alone could qualify this movie uh, for a high strident woman, I think score. so. Uh, there's also that you know Tiffany who uh, she is finds fine. her voice. She does <laughs> find her. Vo she does find her voice. I I just like hate the trope of you know savant child who has to. I don't know. 
There was like this one did have like kind of like Dream Warriors vibes. Oh, it has it has it's so Dream Warriors. Yeah, it's very very Dream Warriors down to like the mute kid of the institution who has to help. Yeah. So what do you want to give this for strident women? I'm gonna give it a 92. 92. Uh, I'm gonna go higher than that because I feel like the only non-strident woman is Tiffany, and she gets there. So I'm gonna give it a 98. 98. You know, I think I gotta go 100. I mean, okay. She's well, now, tied now with I, Aurora from. Like, uh, you want it, You can change your score if you'd like. You're allowed. No, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna maintain the purity of the moment. I'm gonna Fair leave enough. it a 92. Fair enough. We're giving it that. an average of 96.67. If the female Cenobite had a name, it would have been different. Yes. It'd probably be like Gashneck or something. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Is it Butterball, Chatter, Pinhead? I did I mean, really like the positive. move when Chatterer, you f- see his human form and it's a little kid. I yes, thought that was like a so great reveal. I, I read about, I was reading about, uh, you know, the origins as explored in the stories and all of that. And I don't know if they're like, canon because it's not all Clive Barker doing it sure. um, but I was like very curious with the backstory of, of of Chatterer and apparently he's like a teenager not a kid and it's like a hustler like uh, and and there was like was some weird thing where he was uh, I don't know in like a, a halfway house and right. whatever but but was like very much having um sinful gay sex uh and then also was a was a hustler and somehow became chatterer i don't really know how these uh modifications happen <laughs> so they're the not people... they're not necessarily like an extension of some sort of right like i mean i mean but the other like personality the other thing. the other thing is that i think and i'm not sure um but i think in the story it's like they did this to themselves. Like it's it's like the self-mutilation that's mm. part of their, mm-hmm. you know, ascendancy to like this higher form of pleasure. Um, but I don't really know how you turn into most of these creatures. So I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> like Pinhead did not Pinhead did not nail those pins in himself because that would take a long time. Right. And then the ones at the back, how are you gonna do that? Yeah. That's hard to get to. A mirror. It'd be real no, OCD to get those it, right. It would be very difficult, yes. All right. I think this is also our next category is one that you're going to do very well in. Macabre. How macabre is Hellbound Hellraiser 2? I think it's pretty macabre. It's pretty macabre, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, do, do you find that this category, uh, have you had horror films that you feel like were not macabre? Um, not, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all, all, probably not. What's the lot like? Little Shop of Horrors, like macabre, Maybe but it's not it's like not that. it's not like heavy macabre. You know, it's like light macabre. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is even before we get to hell, it's macabre. I mean, the maintenance level of that hospital. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 um. There's yeah. rarely a moment that's not macabre in this whole film. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. There's also some like I I will say like as much as I enjoy this movie and think it's fun, there's some like very disturbing imagery that um. The the scene with the guy cutting himself with the razor that's really tough and and seeing because he's seeing himself covered in like maggots and he's it's it's like one of the worst things I've seen in a horror film, um it's it's awful uh it's great but it's like truly disgusting, um and then there's like other stuff that's like disturbing but like fun like the juggling eyeballs thing (laughs) yeah um. But yeah, I think it's like it's it's a very like there's some very disturbing, uh 
gross, gory stuff happening throughout. And um, that's like a Clive Barker trademark. So I'm glad that it, it made it in, in the movie. <laughs> For sure, yeah, it I think is the is... movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, just, said, I, just, like, I just, I just, I just remembered. Sorry, I just remembered that no, we we're please. talking about we we're talking about uh, Clyde Barker things that uh, are super gay. I, I, I just remember that he also uh, wrote, which was adapted into a movie, The Midnight Meat Train, which is uh, <laughs> uh, an amazing title. Okay, sorry, go I ahead. know her. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we've. Uh, it's. I don't know. I'm. I'm just gonna get. I'm giving it a hundred this is like what yeah. else what else do you do after I five minutes i was like i'm not even gonna write anything down in this category it's a <laughs> hundred there's like nothing even if like after 10 minutes it became normal it would still be a hundred <laughs> great so hundreds all around a hundred yes now it's tied with silence of the lambs and midsummer but it's eight point higher than edward scissorhands all right our next category dramatic lighting oh. i think there's a lot of dramatic lighting. there's a ton yeah, the lightning when like Julie is taking that girl's life force and getting her skin mm -hmm. back. There's lightning when Tiffany opens the box. The hell dimension, the fun house, that Leviathan area is crazy. Mm -hmm. And then and, the like, most the dramatic. I was just going to quickly say when uh, we see the flashback of Pinhead opening the box, those shadows rise from the side in the bunker. Oh right, um, pretty dramatic. I don't think it gets much more dramatic though than the shot of the the flames behind Julia while she's holding Frank's heart. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's pretty dramatic. Also, I mean, at the end, like cover. when they're like running to get out of the portal, and like those big balls of light are just yeah. like ch they're chasing them. And even the beginning, like before we even get to the hell stuff, like during the brain surgery at the beginning with Doctor Shenard, like it's very like stark lighting. Like that's mm -hmm. not if you were doing surgery, you wouldn't be like just a shaft of light on the patient, <laughs> nowhere else in the room. We just want to really focus it. Like, well, if you're doing if you're doing spooky macabre surgery, you yeah, you so. that like that. Mm -hmm. Setting a, a mood. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty dramatic. Yeah, I think I'm I'm gonna go 99. I think 99. Mm -hmm. um, I was gonna go uh, 95. I think it's pretty dramatic here. I'm gonna go 98. 98. Okay. I do also love like the handcraft, like the special effects, like those flaming light ball things. Like the fact that they look like they were made by hand. It's like so charming to me. And also like the matte, obvious matte paintings, like I love them. Because even right. though they're fake, who cares? You know, they look, they're right. delightful. But sounds they're like better you're in a fantasy reality. world. So maybe yeah. that's what it looks like. All right. Our next category, vibrato. So for this, in addition to the literal meaning of vibrato, we also mean anytime they give something extra, like they take a moment and they zhuzh it up or they give it a little more than it's needed, but you like it. Wow. Okay. I'm thinking about all the ways that could be interpreted. Um, this movie is very, I mean, just the gore level, I think is extra mm -hmm. for this movie. It's pretty atypical. I think one of the most like extra things is um, when Dr. Chouinard like has those snaky things coming out <laughs> yeah. and then, this, and then so, they open their mouths and then their eyes and then, and then a knife is up behind the eye and it's just like extra on extra on extra. It's like so much, he doesn't need all of that. But, has, uh, there's oh, also the one time he tries to get Tiffany, a flower comes out and then a, a little back, finger like, a I think finger. that's being lost. I think that's lost <laughs> in the overall picture, Dr. Kennard. Um, <laughs> no, I, he's, I got, he blessed him for his efforts. Uh, yeah, a no, I mean- Dr. Octopus. I mean, he, that's definitely extra. I will say the one area that I think that we've discussed where this is, could be more extra um, or give, or, or, or be more zhuzhed up, uh, 
as you said, would be in the in the in the kink area where you know sure. there's some mm-hmm. restraint uh, and not a sexy kind of restraint when it comes to the Xenobites. <laughs> For sure, um, John. What do you think? I'm gonna give it a ninety. Ninety. Um, I'm also going to give it a 90. I think this movie's pretty, I don't think restrained when I think Hellraiser. No, that's fair. Too. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a 91. 91. Nice. Just to be difficult. <laughs> Make it harder to average. It's a computer who does it. All right. There are three oh, left. Wow. Yeah. You're giving away all, your, all your secrets. <laughs> yeah. um, there are three left in our canon categories of which we call these. And this one, the next one is footwork. How would you rate the footwork? Is this like a Tarantino thing? Is this like a... Chicago. Like, it, came it came from, from Chicago. The movie Chicago. <laughs> I got it. Okay. I was thinking... Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fetish. Yeah, okay. Peter um, Jackson, too, also likes feet. Interesting. Good for, good for him. common, I think. <laughs> I Is think that why the hobbits have such hairy feet? That's exactly. a Tolkien thing. So but... many shut cut to the feet. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of Tiffany and Kristen, like, running through the hallways. Yeah. There's a choreograph of the Cenobites entrance. Their first entrance has a really like presentational mm-hmm. effect. Choreography. Right. They were definitely rehearsed it. They that was de- <laughs> I saw that. I was like, they rehearsed that. <laughs> Who is the dance captain for this entrance? Because kudos to you, sir. Or madam. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know outside of that that there's a lot of fancy footwork. Not a lot. But no. uh, it's hard to compete with Chicago. Um, <laughs> and just in general. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I'll let you. I'll let you both score this first. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think. To me, I feel like I, the only time I really noticed it, beside from the entrance, was just them running through hallways. So it's not like the most like footworky, stagey. So I'm gonna give it a sixty. Sixty. Oh, that's pretty high, John. I'm gonna give it a thirty in footwork. I'm gonna give it a forty-five. Forty-five. Give an average of 45. All righty. All right. Our second to last in the canon categories, animal print. Oh. Well, the most you can say is like leather, I think, which isn't quite animal print. Which isn't a print. No. Well, okay. Okay. But hear me out. Let's hear it. Um, No animals are skinned to make clothing, but humans are skinned to make That's clothing. True. This is true. Mm-hmm. There is a literal human worn as skin um, that happens more than once right or am i wrong well in the first movie it happened and there was a flashback i think to gotcha. that but um in this movie i think it's only uh kirstie wearing mm-hmm. uh, julia's skin um i'm gonna count that as animal print because you're allowed y- humans are famously animals and uh <laughs> i've heard the she most dangerous wearing, mm-hmm. she yes and she she is wearing julia uh and it's an exciting new use of of uh of skin so um, yeah, I don't know. That's that seems like animal print to me. Great. Okay. Given that, I'll give it a twenty. Twenty. You gave Silence of the Lambs a forty-eight for practically the same thing. Mm, it's a little. It was a little sexier there. That was sexy. There's also though there was moth. The there's a lot of moth uh, print going on. There's moth print in Science of the Lambs. I don't remember any moth. Well, go back and listen to the episode. You mean you mean the actual moths? There was moth print in some things, definitely. <laughs> moth print. Um, I'm gonna give it a forty. I'm gonna give it a forty-five. Forty-five. Give it an average of thirty-five, which is a lot more than The Shining, which only has twenty. 
All right, finally, in the canon categories, on a scale of zero to 100, how likely are you to recommend this movie to a gay person? Oh, I, you know, I have shown this movie to so many men that I've dated, <laughs> um, for better or worse. For um, sure. I have not, I have not shown my current boyfriend and I wanted to watch, um, I say that like I have future boyfriends. I just, I meant that I, I meant that wow, I have- everything a, okay? Oh God. Once he's his not quarantine this, is over. But I, but no, no, he's wonderful and I love him. But I, I, I have not um, subjected him to this yet, but I did like used to early in like dating. This is one of my sort of like, uh, you know, a litmus test movies that I would show perspective you know men and see if they mm -hmm. uh were worth dating um i don't know i think it's like a, I, to me this is like gay canon i think i think a familiarity with clive barker is important and i think so. that uh of you know of his adaptations it's i don't think it's necessarily the best of all of them i think that you know candy man probably uh I, it's my personal favorite, but I also think that it's like, uh, to me, quintessential Clive Barker in a lot of ways. And so um, I, I think I would very much show it to a gay man and have many, many times. So I, I, I'm going to give it, based on my personal experience, an 87. 87. I mean, for me, if I was like talking to a gay person, they're like, oh, I've never seen Hellbound Hellraiser 2. I'd be like, okay, how do you feel about this? Like, I'd have to do a lot of, I have to ask a lot of questions of, of them before I would recommend it. So, and even then, I feel like if they didn't, I, I'm going to give it a 30. 30. Wow. You haven't given such, that's, uh, wow. The next lowest you gave was 45, and that was for Mermaids. <laughs> that had Cher and Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci. I don't know. I think this one's like a great queer one just for showing the, all the colors in the gay canon. You know what I mean? Like, there can't be black leather. I don't think it's leather. that gay of a movie, though. Like, I think to but me, I think it's more Clive about like kink. For the sure. Whole. Yeah, but I think that there's a queer, I think there is definitely a queer sensibility to the entire proceedings. Sure. Um, and I think like it's it's a fairy tale about how your dark desires can lead to a <laughs> yes. world of pain and, and pleasure. Mm -hmm. That feels pretty gay to me. Also, okay. I mean, is there very, anything? You're right. It's into the woods. There's <laughs> there's nothing gayer than Jesus wept as a concept. I mean, That's it's true. just like it's a, because gay sex makes Jesus weep, and I think that we have to remember that also. So, mm -hmm. so I think if you're a gay person and you like horror movies, you gotta see it. I think there's a lot to like. Like, it's not all Ryan Murphy and the Prom. You know, there's also some like <laughs> fucked up shit, and that's okay. Sure. I think I think Ryan Murphy's The Prom falls under the category of fucked up shit, but that's yes. probably true. <laughs> James Corden, second billing. I mean, get out of here. A crime. Uh, I'm call me crazy. I'm giving it a ninety. Given an average of, and this is appropriate, 69. Oh, hello. <laughs> all right, now we are into the wheel categories. So these are all categories that previous guests have brought in and then they, we have put on the wheel. So we're gonna spin this wheel that I have on my phone. Um, and uh, so whatever, we're gonna just spin it four times, whatever category comes up, we're gonna randomly judge the, the movie based on that. And after we do four, you are gonna add a category that we're gonna add to the wheel. Amazing. Okay, so here we go. Oh, I love that sound. It's so pleasing, isn't it? Authentic. Titular theme song. Titular theme song. Well, I mean, I they kind of get uh, throbbing gristle for in the studio <laughs> for three hours. I, there's definitely like 
theme music, but I don't think there's a titular song. No. I mean, Dude, if ever the world cried out for one. I can't believe this was kind of the era of like rap songs over the credits and horror movies. I feel like maybe that's more, that's, that's a little bit more. A little Where bit were more the fat 90s. boys? Why, a little why bit more they, 90s, yeah. but I feel like, I feel like, like, I think, I don't know. I would love to hear Pinhead sampled on on a rap track. So I, I wish there were a song, but um, <laughs> unfortunately I cannot conjure one. Well, Coyle did do a song. Coyle was this band, this industrial band that Clyde Barker hired to do the original Hellraiser, but they never were used in the movies. And they did do a song called Hellraiser, but it's not in this movie. It's not in either <laughs> of those movies. But there is Hellraiser music out there if you want to listen to it. I do. Is there like so a theme for the Hellraiser franchise that is used in this? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. Think co- the, I don't think franchise coherence is like a staple of this franchise. Gotcha. Well, the the, fir- the first two are definitely kind of like a unit. Yes. I mean, the, right. the second movie has like previously on Hellraiser, and then there's yes. the <laughs> movie. But uh, after the first two movies, it's very much like you know a free for all. So yes, there's not a lot of uh, continuity. So what are we going to give this titular theme song? I don't think there is one. I'm gonna give it a five because there was stuff, even if it wasn't used. I was gonna give it. I was gonna give it a five. Also, (laughs) I I appreciate that. Great. I will also give it a five. (laughs) Given an average of five. Titular theme song is from our smile episode with Julie Brister. Oh well, this is gonna match it. Potential to be a musical. Oh, I mean. I think here's what Opera? I will say. I love, I, it's well known. I love musicals and I am happy to try to make anything a musical. I feel like what would be a challenge with making this a musical is that it's so much is about the visuals and the special effects. And that's sort of like hard to create that. If you're talking, if we're thinking about a live musical, like if we're yes. just doing like a movie musical, then that's not so much a problem. I mean, a movie musical is like very, they could do like a repo, the genetic opera kind mm-hmm. of like, that style um i don't know they made reanimator a stage musical so i oh. feel like uh, i i didn't see it but i feel like the sky's the limit um i don't know that hellraiser lent itself to that treatment um but i do kind of feel like uh the character Pin- uh, pinhead deserves uh an 11 o'clock number <laughs> if that's the one I mean, thing like, he could he could do a killer cabaret show like a one hour with pinhead yeah yeah, the standard, I mean, some stories, maybe a oh, sex act or two. I mean, I mean yes. if Luann can, anybody can. <laughs> That's true. And he has pitch. So I if just he think... doesn't do fuck Mary Kill, I mean, <laughs> that's his show. That's that's uh, exactly that's perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so now I'm really I'm seeing this now. I'm imagining it. Like the the frame narrative of this musical is Pinhead telling the story, the story of his life as a, as a cabaret. Oh, he's sort of narrating it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. I, listen, I'm not saying it's like it would be great, but I'm. I think it could be done uh, sure. with the right sensibility, and so I, I'm going to give it a 65. 65. Yeah, I mean, actually, going back, if you see the original Roger Corman movie, Little Shop of Horrors, you would not see it. Does not have the musical that we know and love today. Like it is. A, there's a lot of they did a lot of rewriting on that. I'll give it a 40 though. 40. Uh, I'm going to give it a 50. I think you'd have to invent a lot of new scenes, but I think it could be done. <laughs> I just want to see a skinless woman do like a toe tap and number. 
I think that sounds great. And like audience first rows could be like a splash zone because of like sure, all the sure. gore and stuff like that. Definitely. All right, give an average of 51.67. I think potential to be a musical is from our Midsummer episode. That's correct. Giffy. I would love that musical. I mean, it did very well in that. Okay. Does a high school jock get penetrated? Does a high school jock get penetrated? I mean, do we imagine the guy who thinks he has maggots crawling over his skin was a jock? And then when Julia comes out of the bed, she sort of pegs him? I, I, that guy did not give off jock vibes to me. <laughs> no. No, um, but I also think because he had like psychosis and that made him sort of, I, there, there's a world in which he was a jock, something horribly traumatic you think happened like to CTE him. think like CTE maybe? Like he was a football player? Possibly, maybe he had, yeah. Head injuries made him have that psychosis, who knows? I mean, On it's a this stretch. category, you're well, stretching. Wait, you know, wait, listen, listen. <laughs> I think if anyone is a jock, it's it's Frank. Frank was a jock, and yeah, he got for sure. he got penetrated by Julia's. Julia fisted him and pulled his That's heart right. out. So I think that I think that there's a way a way to make this work. <laughs> I also think you know, yes, we have to go by what's on screen, but like we know at some point, Pinhead has penetrated some jock. That just has to have happened. Absolutely, so. yeah. I'm imagining, you know, that, that that's yeah. Uh, plenty of jocks have taken that box and tried to open it. Absolutely, um, lots of dumb jocks who can do puzzles. Um, <laughs> I like Rubik's cube. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you guys score this first while I think about my my score. Fair I enough. mean, I think, I think we are stretching, but we've got something, so I'll give it a fifteen. Fifteen. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a fifteen. I'm gonna give it a twenty. Twenty. Alrighty. Give an average of 16.67. So wheel category number four, the last one. Flashbacks. Flash, well, we see the entire first movie again. Yeah. And also the opening is a flashback. Yep. And we have like a moment where we sort of see, yeah, how Pinhead was made. Yes, this is a very flashback heavy movie. Almost too flashback heavy, but that was like, that was the style. There were all these horror movies that were, yeah. you know, where they would kind of just show you what happened in the last movie. Um, an easy way to get more uh, uh, runtime for a short movie yeah. is to just <laughs> add in scenes in the last movie. Um, but, but also people it, didn't have the internet to like endlessly theorize and come up with like, you know, well, who is the main villain of phase five of the MCU? You know what I mean? We didn't have to. It wasn't like all the movies were available in streaming. So you had to assume right. that a lot of people were coming in cold and hadn't seen something before. So you have to like catch them up. I don't know that, that the flashbacks in this movie make it make more sense. It's, they're very quick. The opening <laughs> flashback definitely made me confused right off the bat. When you see think... how Pinhead's made, that one? To whatever the very beginning of the movie, I was like, what is happening? Which was sort of like a, 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 like a very distillation of the first movie. But I think it does also include how Pinhead was, came to be. Yes, he's, uh, yeah, it's, it's that, that scene of, of, uh, of him being transformed. Um, I, it, it, weirdly, again, it's, a very, it's not a very sexual transformation. So he, he <laughs> no. we, don't, we, don't, we don't see the horny, we just see the, the nails. He seems the to hate it. He doesn't seem to be enjoying himself at all. No, if I was getting uh, all those nails to the head, I'd hope I was be deriving some pleasure from it. That this is gonna be my defining look for all eternity. Mm -hmm. I guess. I guess. Um, it's like I was again reading about the story, and it's like they, they, they're so 
excited about this, like there's new heights of pleasure that they don't realize they're causing pain, that it's sort of like, you know, they're, they're, they're playing with the, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but pleasure and pain can huh. often be uh, kind of mixed sexually. There's like a, some sort of uh, sp a spectrum of pleasure and pain. And the idea here is that these, these beings are just, they go so far into pleasure that they, uh, they, oops, it's, they're, they're in pain now. Um, I don't know how nails in the head is at all pleasurable, but I've never tried it, you know? And so I can't, I've had acupuncture. There you go. Um, how was that? Pleasurable. So, okay. um, uh, getting off track. It, it, it's a flashback is the point. There's yeah. a lot, there's, a, there's heavy <laughs> flashbacks here. Remember when people were getting those like donuts in their forehead? That was like a thing yes, for like a yes, hot yes, second. I mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, also flashbacks. Tiffany to her mother. That's right. That's right. Bringing her to the institution and, and her mother help. being killed by the doctor, I believe. I thought I thought we were meant to think that the mother was the woman he was doing that surgery on in the beginning of the movie. I thought that was I thought that was Tiffany. I couldn't tell. Oh, look. All right. I guess we'll have to no, watch he, it again. But no, he no, but no, but he no, he did kill. He did, no, or I thought he killed an animal anyway the, the point is <laughs> there's some a, flashbacks there's, there's some, some flashbacks. flashbacks yes there's a flashback to the doctor like torturing an animal as a child oh right that too mm -hmm. so it's so many flashbacks um so what do you want to give it john you want to go I, or lewis uh, well i'm gonna i'm gonna give it an 85 85 I'm going to give it a 65. 65. Not quite an episode of Lost. No. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I think I'm going to give it an 88. I think there's a lot of flashbacks in here. Anytime you're recapping the entire first movie. <laughs> sure. Give it an average of 79.33. All right, Lewis, the time has come for you to add a category, which will then be added to the wheel and potentially become canon or a bonus category. So do you have a category in mind that we could use for this movie as well as every other movie in the future? Have you done uh, phallic imagery? We haven't. We have not. We've done bulges, but not phallic imagery. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say phallic imagery. That's pretty that's great. One. I mean, there's that pillar that's always showing up. Yeah, and the pillar I mean, at the end. That's the one I mean. Yeah. Oh, or I thought Leviathan. you were talking about that that big weird sort of like the box turns into sort of like a like Leviathan a longy diamond yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. thing. I, I'm thinking fully about, again, Dr. Chenard's, uh, yes, th there's that, that. that, that thing is like a throbbing dick on his head by the end. Yeah, it's, it is, it is very much a penis. Um, and also and even like his, his fingers. Yeah. Yes. All, all of that stuff is very, very phallic. Um, he's this like a movie is a smorgasbord demon. of phallic imagery. <laughs> yeah. Pin, Pinhead as a character has a little bit of a dick vibe to him. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. sure. Yeah, they have nice shoulders. Like they gave him like shoulders, like some like puffy definition. Oh yeah, he's got a great silhouette. <laughs> Iconic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's like um, up there with SpongeBob <laughs> and Homer Simpson. <laughs> I uh, yes, I I I I obviously chose this category because I thought it would score well. Um, but also Smart. think that I also think that phallic imagery is you know there's can be applied to. Uh, most important gay films. Absolutely. True. So what do we want to give Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 in phallic imagery? I'm going to give it a 91. 91. I'll give it a 91 as well. 
You know what? So will I. Give it an average of 91. Yay. All right, Lewis. Now we are into the, don't worry, we are almost done. <laughs> we are into the bonus category. So these categories we're going to rate from zero to 10. And the, these are just bonus extra points. So if, uh, if it doesn't score well in any of these categories, it won't hurt the score at all. These are just extra points the movie can get. Fantastic. These are percentages. So the first mm -hmm. one on a scale of zero to 10% is makeover montage. We have uh, oh. the, the montage of becoming Pinhead, right? Yeah, at the we have one. I mm -hmm. like, we haven't had one in so long. I know. Like in, in a movie, it's like, <laughs> we actually had one on the creation of Pinhead, a true it, makeover montage. It is a makeover and it is a montage. We don't have to sort of uh, argue, no, we split don't hairs pull... on any of them. Nope. And I guess we a... don't, we don't really see Julia become skin, skins Julia. Not skinned, no. reskinned, Julia. Yeah. I guess that's more of a. I will say I was a little sad thing. because I, one thing I thought was so great about the first one was the general progression of him going from like skeleton to like more organs oh, yeah. in the right. first movie, and this one it sort of was just like she. I felt like she just jumped ahead several several phases. Right, but they he killed a lot of people. He didn't wear like a fetching Greek, you know, style. That is true. I mean, yeah. Dress. I mean, like you win and you lose, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I was but like, I thought that was so exciting. Seen. It was one of the things I really liked in the first movie. So I, I just was like, oh, we just, we just got to that part. Okay. Fair enough. But the makeover montage, I mean, it's iconic. It is. It, it, it also like, you know, sets up, uh, you know, stuff we need to know, uh, canon stuff. Uh, so what do you want to give this for makeover montage? For zero to ten percent, we can do decimals. You could do a point five. Keep that in mind. Oh, that's that's tricky. All right, you guys go. You guys go first. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm gonna give it an eight. An eight. Um, I'm gonna give it a ten. This is what I mean. This is what this, I'm looking this for. This is what you mean. This I saw it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a nine. A nine. Alrighty. Given an average of nine, tying it with Edward Scissorhands. Okay. All right. Our next category, cheerworthy cameos. Were there any cameos where you said, hey, that's, what's their face? No. Well, we do see Larry at the beginning from the first one. Well, it's Frank wearing a, Larry's skin. <laughs> is, that a, is that a cameo? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, poor Andrew Robinson. Terrific in Deep Space Nine, if anyone's ever watched that. Um, Why poor Andrew Robinson? Because <laughs> he gets like split in half in the movie. Oh, gotcha. This is the character. I mean, I don't right, mean, right, right. The actual actor. But there's not a lot. It's not a. It's no. pretty low budget, so there's not like a big like set piece, you know. So so in the first movie, there's this creature, the engineer, which is like the head of. The, I don't know if he's the head of the Cenobites or he's like one of the. He's not a Cenobite. He's like another kind of creature from hell, and mm. he's more of like an animal type thing. And she sees him in the first movie toward the end. Um, oh right, that little monster dude. Um, and in this movie, there was supposed to be an engineer scene that was cut. But it, because of a failure in editing, when they're running out of hell, you see a shot of the engineer, uh, which is almost a cameo, but I didn't actually spot it myself. I just know that it's there. <laughs> so I don't know if it counts. You do see well, did on you the cheer? pillar at the end, isn't that the old man who in the beard, the guy who eats the bugs in the first one? Yes, yes, And then yes. takes the box in the fire. Isn't that him on the pillar at the very end when he says like, "Do what do you desire to the new guy? Yes, and also you see the uh, the cameo. I would say that's the, a cameo. That's just his only appearance. I, I, I think the baby showing its lips shut uh, is a... <laughs> It's not a cameo, it's just a special moment. But um, <laughs> it does pop up again on the pillar, so. Yeah. Kudos to that baby. Great pillar work. 
<laughs> I I mean I don't I I I think that this is like a a one for me. A one, all right. Yeah, I'll give it a one as well. A one. I'm gonna give it a three for the guy who looks like Alan Moore, uh, given an average of <laughs> one point six seven. What guy looks like Alan Moore? The bug guy. The bug guy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Our next category: pool trouble. Well, there's that weird threesome in that pool. There is that. There's also the pools of blood on the floor that create more people. Like that's how Julia is made from like the blood pooling on the mattress, we could say. Okay, so that's that kind true. of that okay. kind of pool. Yeah. yeah. There's weird stuff that happens in pools of light. <laughs> There's lots of pools of light. <laughs> that said surgery you pointed out. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's trouble. But we never see like Hellraiser at the beach like you do in uh, that's a real, never four, a real three, four, three a more, real missed opportunity. That's a <laughs> real missed opportunity. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's I. You talked about Nightmare on Elm Street four, but I think Nightmare on Elm Street two has the the ultimate. Oh, pool the iconic, moment. yeah, that's true. Yes, but uh, yeah, no, nothing like that here. So, what do you want to give this for pool trouble? Oh. Uh, 1.5. 1.5. I'll do a 1.5 as well. I will also do a 1.5. That's great. All <laughs> right, our next category. This might do well. Witches. How witchy is Hellraiser 2? <laughs> I think it's pretty witchy. I mean, yeah, they, I think, they you go know, to hell. They, I don't think it's like there are real witches, but Julia kind of self-identifies as a witch by calling herself yes. the the evil queen. She's mm -hmm. She's got witchy vibes. Um and they and 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 really like kind of plays into the fairy tale element of it mm -hmm. of this like you know they're they're lost in the woods and she's a wicked the, stepmother yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah she's she's definitely uh witchy um and also the cenobites themselves I say as a pack yeah. feel sure. pretty witchy to me they're kind of coveny they make deals a lot of big mm -hmm. Ursula energy sure sure and they work for the devil. Yeah. There you go. So what do you want to give this for witches? I think it's I'm gonna say an eight point five. Eight point five. I'm gonna say eight. Eight. I'm gonna split the difference and go nine. I think it's pretty dang <laughs> that's, witchy. That's not splitting the difference at all. Well, you know, it all begins <laughs> it average out to eight point five. There we go. Give an average of eight point five. All right, this next category might be tough. Gay actors playing gay roles. No. I, yeah, I mean, doesn't no. happen. It doesn't happen. I was hoping that I, I was hoping that Doug Bradley was gay just because it would be fun if he were. Um, right. It would feel, it would feel right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but uh, he's married to someone named Steph, and it seems like <laughs> oh, that's the straightest thing you could do. It seems like she is a woman, um, and I'm sorry if I am wrong about that, but I believe he is straight. <laughs> Well, she is our biggest backer of the show, so this is very <laughs> upsetting. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> this is a Steph production. Um, <laughs> um, I think I, I'll, yeah. I gotta, I gotta go zero. I gotta go zero. It's zero for me. Yeah, this is, uh, out of the last uh, seven movies, only one movie has scored in this, and that was <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, which ended up with a 0.83. So, <laughs> shocking how who, bad... Who who is the gay character in Edward Scissorhands? We sort of were saying Vincent Price. We stretched to give it that. We stretched to give it all like a one, essentially, mm -hmm. out of 10. <laughs> okay. You know, we're being generous. <laughs> That's nice. All right. This one also you might do well in, though. Themes of mothers. Oh. 
Um, well, stepmother is a kind of mother's. That's and then true. She has, Julie has a fun twist on Frank's come to daddy. She says, come to mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think Kirsty has like real mommy issues and daddy issues. Um, and Tiffany's but... mom, can you help my daughter? Yes, yes. There's that fun shot where Christy's like looks at a photo of her mom. It turns into Julia and then it fills with blood. <laughs> now that's a theme. Now that's a theme of mothers if I ever saw one. <laughs> a little on the nose maybe, but sure. We don't, you know, we, you watch a Hellraiser movie for things to be on the nose and through yeah. the nose. <laughs> uh, yes, no, it's, uh, it's, it's very mother, mothery. Mothery? It's, it's, it's maternal. maternal. It's, uh... Big maternal energy. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I don't know if Julia has maternal instincts, but um, she is a, a a type of mother. A lot of mothers don't have maternal instincts. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Joan Crawford much. Um, so what do you want to give us for themes of mothers? I'm now just I'm thinking about Joan Crawford playing Julia. Um, <laughs> oh, I was thinking for playing Pinhead. <laughs> either way, I would love to see it. Um, a Norbit situation, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we have the technology to make this happen, yeah, it's really a matter of who's going <laughs> to put the, the will. In. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'm going to give this seven point seven. Seven point seven. We're going to give it a four. There's mother stuff happening, but it doesn't seem to be like an like a, a universal theme of the movie. Uh, for sure. I'm going to split the difference and give it a <laughs> six, giving an average of five point nine percent. All right, our next. This is second to the last in the bonus category. We're almost done. Dramatic smoking. Was there any dramatic smoking? Well, I Julia, believe Julia is smoking at one point. Yes. Yeah, well, Dr. Shinar, before he bandages her, he like smokes a cigarette and gives it to her with her yes. little bloody skinless fingers. Right, 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 right. And then she takes it and then blows it right in his face, which I always <sighs> like when people do that in movies. That's quite dramatic, <laughs> that smoking. That's pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's reflecting like a simpatico between the two of them sharing a cigarette. Sure, transference of power, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I would say that when uh, when Frank catches fire, he's yes. dramatically smoking. <laughs> I would true. say so, absolutely. <laughs> so um, yes, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna it? I'm gonna give it an eight point three. Eight point three. I like these non five and zero <laughs> decimal points. I Not just, enough I, people I, do I, them. I mean, I I got excited by the idea that I could do that. <laughs> you are empowered. Uh, I'm gonna give it a six. Six. Uh, I'm going to split the difference and give it a seven. <laughs> Got an average of 7.1. All right, our last of the bonus categories. Quips. How quippy is Hellbound, Hellraiser 2? Well, the, Dr. Kennard has a lot. The doctor is in. He says that a few times. Uh-huh. One of my he's, favorites he's, was when Julie says, nothing personal, baby, which was ironic because she was holding what's-his-name's heart, which is pretty personal. It's very personal. Yeah. Um, she's quippy. Dr. Chenard is quippy. I think the Cenobites are like the opposite of quippy. They're like anti Kind of ponderous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think like of all the sort of like slasher villains, I mean, there's the silent ones like Michael and Jason, but like compared to like Freddy and Chucky, uh, of the ones that talk, I guess, Pinhead is like the least quippy for sure. Um, but points for Julia, I think for, she, she has, she gets some quips in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Kennard, I think I was trying to find a list of them. I stopped writing them down, but I, I can't find it anymore. Oh, he says, I recommend amputation at one point. <laughs> <laughs> He's having a good time. Yeah. Um, I, I think, 
yes i i I think that uh based on those characters alone um i'm gonna give it a a uh 5.5 5.5 i'm gonna give it a 3.5 3.5 what's the difference I'm going to, I think I am going to split the difference and just give it a five, give it an average of 4.67. All right. Now we are into the, the iconic categories. These are the iconic categories. There's only three of them. They're kind of more umbrella categories that all these other categories could fit into. And we are back to scoring zero to a hundred. I did say this was a Byzantine scoring system. <laughs> so the first one, how would very, you- Very, very complicated. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Um, our very first one is homoeroticism. How homoerotic is Hellbound Hellraiser 2? I don't, I don't think it's that homoerotic. I think that, as we've kind of discussed, when you bring in your knowledge of Clive Barker, you can project a lot of that onto yes. it. Mm-hmm, um, sure. I don't think the movie- as a, I don't know. It's not. It's not a super homoerotic movie. It is. It is like. Uh, it's again. It's homoerotic adjacent. Um, so I, I. I have to think about that and be honest with the scoring accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say yeah. For me, it's not very homoerotic. I know you guys think it's a very horny, sexy movie. Um, I, I think don't... you're. I, I don't. I don't. You're. You're mischaracterizing. I think you know what we've said but that's fine uh, i'm gonna give it a 20. 20. um i don't know i th- to me like the queer sensibility kind of bleeds into the homoeroticism so i'm gonna is it the most homoerotic thing i've ever seen no don't you dare say that uh, but, um <laughs> but i'll give it a 50 for homoeroticism i'm gonna give it a 45. 45 giving it an average of 38.33, which is a lot more homoerotic than The Shining, which only has 11.67 in homoeroticism. All right, on a scale of zero to 100, camp factor. How campy is Hellbound Hellraiser 2? I think it's quite campy. I think it's pretty it's campy. Pretty campy. I, think it's, I think it's also like, I mean, it, it definitely walks that line where it's like, it's, it's not intentionally silly by any means, but like it kind of, at times gets that it's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's just the right amount of like, of, of, of uh, you know, self-referential. I, mean, I, I definitely, while watching it, had moments of actually being like grossed out by something to then it like going over the edge to being like, oh, now it's ridiculous. Like when uh, his head like explodes, like I was like, like oh, there was some yeah. stuff before then that was sort of creeping me out. And then I was like, oh wait, no, this is any sort of creepiness has sort of left the room right now. And now it is like turned into absurd. It has ventured past anything that's not campy. John, have you ever read any splatterpunk? I don't think I have. Um, uh, yeah, I don't okay. know. This is all this is very <laughs> splatterpunky. I'm sure. splatterpunk isn't like that's what the uh, I just I read a few years ago the Damnation Game by Clive Barker, which is all very similar themes to this. But I do I have a quick list of the campy things I noticed. And Hellbound Hellraiser 2, I will go through them very quickly. Uh, seeing the New World Pictures logo and knowing you're about to see some gory <laughs> shit. Uh, a doctor giving a very melodramatic monologue about how the brain is like a labyrinth we are compelled to explore before performing surgery. Using your father's blood to give your lips a pop of color. Christy interrupting <laughs> her melodramatic melod- monologue to call her stepmother a bitch whenever a movie recaps the one that came before it. Dr. Chenard's very intense home office. Realizing a few seconds into a ritualistic murder taking place in your home office that maybe you should close the door. A magical mattress. 
giving the skinless woman staying in your house white pajamas to wear, making out with a skinless person is taking doing it raw a little too literally, Kyle making the moves on Christy knowing full well she's going through a serious trauma and has a boyfriend, a very expositional scrapbook. The fact that hell is mostly hallways feels right. Julia betraying her <laughs> lover Frank by literally ripping out his heart is maybe a little on the nose. Kennard making his Cenobite debut and says, and to think I hesitated, which is exactly how I felt after I came out. No one in this movie is worried about someone else's blood getting on them. And finally, Christy comes back from hell and still hasn't burned that goddamn mattress. So those are all the campy things I noticed. So I think it's pretty campy. It is like that fine line of camp and genuine horror. So I think it's like, that's what makes this movie interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's the shot of um, the, you know, skinless man who wrote, I am in hell, help me on the <laughs> yes. wall, which I oh, use yeah. on Twitter. I use that on Twitter all the time <laughs> when I'm feeling like, a, you know, in a mood. Um, so like that moment may not be campy, but it has taken on a camp, uh, factor in my life. Um, For sure. I, I'm using it ironically. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's a campy movie. I think it's like, a, it's, a, it's, it's a relatively campy movie. So I'm going to give it an 85. 85. I'm going to give it a 73. 73. Uh, I'm going to go 77. Give her an average of 78.33. You know, I was going to give it an 80 until you read your whole list. (laughs) So this is on on you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Our final in the iconic categories, over-the-top wardrobe. Oh, I mean. I mean, the Cenobites. I also, I know I sort of mentioned earlier, Julia's earrings when she like, her dress is pretty plain. It feels like it could, she feels like something that could be in like a modern dance number. Um, but those British, earrings. I think is the problem. Yeah. Um, but those earrings were like so big, so chunky, so unnecessary. Sometimes and also it's less, I mean, what you're wearing and more what you're not wearing, like your skin. I feel you like. True. There's that. Being uh, skinless is kind of a costume unto itself. She took that Coco Chanel advice to take one thing off a little too literally. Yeah, a little too. <laughs> She's like, the only thing I can take off is my skin. Um, I also thought uh, in the beginning of the movie, Christy wears a jacket that is like the perfect distillation of the 80s. It had like big <laughs> shoulder pads. The sleeves were rolled up. It was like too long for her. I was like, that jacket is the 80s, which may not be over the top since it was the 80s, but it was like so perfect right. it hasn't left the 80s. And just all those goddamn Cenobites. Yeah. Um, so what do you want to give this for over-the-top wardrobe? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys score first. Fair I'm going to go... I'm going to go 80. 80. Wow, pretty high, John. Um, yeah, that sounds right. I'll go 80. I'm going to go 81. Wow, just to make <laughs> us look bad. Give it an average of 80.33. Okay, finally, Lewis, we are into the crown jewels categories. <laughs> so there these are only categories, two. Don't there's worry. only two, and these we all agree on. It's sort of like yes or no. There's no actual score. We all have to say it does get this bonus or it doesn't. Make okay, sense? fair enough. So the first one, a 15% bonus for a positive portrayal of homosexuality. Does Hellbound Hellraiser <laughs> 2 have a positive portrayal of homosexuality? Uh, I feel like if my only exposure to... <laughs> <laughs> gayness was someone being like a gay man wrote the story that inspired this watch it 
I would probably never stay in the closet forever. Yes. So I think, (laughs) uh, no, it does not. Yeah. I will have to agree with you. I think I also have to agree. Um, all right. Finally, negative 50% points. If this is the movie boat trip, this is not the movie boat trip. So it will not lose 50% of its points. All right. <laughs> how many how many movies have uh, have lost those fifty <laughs> points? So far, none. But none. who knows? Someone <laughs> might bring in boat trip. All right, Lewis. That's it. We're done. How do you think uh, Hellbound did? I think it. I think it did well, and I think that I scored it quite high. But I think that I also was fair. Do you think you beat Sleepaway Camp? I do. All righty. Well, Mark, John, what do you think? What do you think, John? Do I think it beats Sleepaway Camp? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say yes, I think it did. All right. It sounds like a lot of asterisks on the end of that. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So I will tell you right now how it did. Out of a total possible 2,488.49 points, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 has scored 1,762.83 points, giving it a percentage of 70.84%. Making it the 15th gayest movie ever. Not as gay as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, but gayer than Face Off. That's but how did, it, how did it do in the horror uh, movies? Oh, it's, on, it's second only to Interview with the Vampire. Interview with the Vampire is 71.84. Ooh, so close. Hellbound has 70.84. And then the next horror movie is Ginger Snaps with a 64.92. So you beat Sleepaway Camp. Trout Sleepaway all Camp. I, that's all I wanted. <laughs> Congratulations. You did it. Thank you so much. <laughs> you did it. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. Um, are you not a fan of Sleepaway Camp or is it just... Uh, the problematic I, nature of it. Oh, it's fine. I mean, it's, yeah. I think that of all the sort of like uh, trans panic horror movies, it's my least favorite. You know, I think that at least- <laughs> It's a genre. It's a, it is a genre. And I think mm-hmm. that like, I'd rather watch Silence of the Lambs or Dress to Kill if I'm, or Psycho, you know, if I'm gonna watch one of those. Um, Ace Ventura, maybe. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I recently. Uh, I, you know, I I watched the documentary Disclosure recently, and yeah. I was shocked at how I knew that Ace Ventura was transphobic, but I had forgotten like how appalling that ending is. And then I saw that and was like, um, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Well, you weren't bad. You were great. You were wonderful. Thank you so oh, much for doing you. this. What, what a thrill. Is, is there anything you like to plug, promote, or shill for at this time? Um, I have a newsletter, but it's currently, uh, I mean, whenever this comes out, it might, it might be back in, in service, but, um, you should follow me on Twitter for when I do eventually get back to that. Uh, I'm at Lewis Peitzman on Twitter and I'm often tweeting about, um, Julia from Hellraiser. You are an iconic follow on Twitter. Yes. I highly recommend and encourage that. Yes. A huge fan of you on Twitter. Thank you. Oh, that's great. And... We'll be right back. We're back. You know, saying that in the midst of five cold screams, it almost feels like there's a slightly ominous quality to it that I don't think we bring to our vocals. Well, I think because we say it like in there, here. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's right. I think that's it. Or just what so John, you don't like kink, huh? That's not Mark. You're doing it again. Like I didn't like. So you Mitzelar. do like kink. I'm totally. What, what kind kink. of kink do you like? <laughs> okay. What are you into? 
<laughs> I mean, just to tell love. your family to stop listening. <laughs> love is not a case. They're not Sorry listening. To break it Trust to me. Don't worry about oh. it. They're like, oh, you, what is the podcast? Mm. Um, no, I'm totally, it, it was, it wasn't one of those things like I thought it was gross or bad or anything, but it was one of those things where I was like, I think any kink would is interest or any, I think sexual, uh, activity if you don't feel it it just seems odd to you to watch it or it just seems uh -huh. like huh you know what i mean like uh like um <laughs> here's a story definitely all right if any of my family listening don't uh many years ago before i met my husband back when i was living Thank in new york you. i was hooking up with some guy and uh oh my God. as we were fooling around he said hey do you want to try something uh weird did i ever tell you this story and i was like um, uh okay uh sure what is it like uh, like slightly like um i don't care and he's like do you want do you mind wearing a pair of knee-high nylon socks and i was like um and we were at my place i was like uh sure i don't think i have any though he's like i do and he like ran to his stuff and like <laughs> of took out a pair. <laughs> i guess you don't bring up that question and be like oh i was hoping yeah. you'd have one um i put them on and he uh he uh, went to town on my ankles let's just say that and really just had a, a grand old time it was those things like i was like lying he grinded there. your ankles uh he took uh not safe for work if kids are listening you might want to stop now but like he just was I mean, just now we're an hour well, 40 minutes true, into, a, into a hellraiser podcast good point good point he was just like like basically like fucking my ankles like with his dick like just like really like grinding up wow. against them was completely turned on came like a geyser and then like as soon as he was done he took the socks like used it cleaned them up and then like put the socks back in like his jacket pocket so he could keep so I don't know, maybe he's been doing uh, weird genetic experiments on my DNA, but it was interesting to be there and just be like, wow, this is like, to me, it was, it didn't bother me. It didn't turn me on. It sure. didn't necessarily excite me, but it was sort of interesting to be like, wow, this is clearly doing something for you. So strong. He found his thing. Yeah. It was something that for him was like, this is the button to push. Cause you um, wonder like, can he only, is that the only way he can get out? You know what I mean? Like, is that the only tool in his toolbox? Like, or does he have... Is that just one of the many colors? Is, is that just one use? of the many colors? Uh, I don't know. We only uh, hooked up that one time. He was, and that's how you met visiting. Barry Manilow. That's the time I met Barry Manilow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, how about you, wow. Mark? What are all your big kings? <laughs> Nothing crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like a stop by a rough trade now and then. You know. Oh sure, crazy. sure. You know, mm -hmm. a little pulling of the hair. Slightly no. slapping a little hard. No, the store rough trade. <laughs> oh, I hope my oh, nephews gotcha. aren't listening. <laughs> I'll tell them not to listen to the end of this. Sure. Speaking of listening, we've got some great emails from our listeners. Um, we've got an email here from Deirdre, uh, and it is titled, Laughing Through the Chaos of 2020. She says, hello, I was recommended this wonderful podcast by a dear friend, and your show is not only something I listen to while cleaning my house, but also while working in the lab for my neuroscience PhD. Ooh, this is very the perfect, cool. yes. Uh, since we still have limited personnel in the lab, my coworkers aren't around to be annoyed by my constant giggling or uproarious laughter while listening to your amazing show. All the movies I watch are now filtered through the glorious Byzantine ranking system, and I have found some new favorites through your show. The guests are always uh, great and always intriguing additions to the fantastic chemistry you two have. During this awful year, you both have kept me smiling and have helped keep my spirits up through stressful times. If I was cool enough to be a guest, I would bring on either the 2000 dance teen drama Center Stage or 2016 South Korean erotic psychological thriller The Handmaiden, since the birdcage oh. would be low-hanging fruit. Uh, anyways, thank you for making this chaotic year more bearable. D. Thank you, Deirdre. That was so what sweet. goes on in this neuroscience lab? <laughs> that sounds so cool. Mm. 
Maybe she's drilling into people's heads. We can all, I hope so. I mean, I would assume that's got to come up at some point in neuroscience. <laughs> at some be. point, you're getting into a brain. Uh, one right? hopes. I mean, it, it can't I, all it would, be cat scans. It would feel like a letdown if you're like, I'm going into neuroscience and I'm never going to just take something to a brain. Wow. I'm glad someone, like, you're actually doing something important. Like, she's, I'm glad, uh, as long as we're supporting her, we're doing okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's actually going to help people's lives. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, dear. Uh, I sweet. have seen The Handmaiden. I saw that in theaters okay. uh, with Julie Brewster, I think. Oh, I think nice. She and I went to see it together. Oh, yeah. Does and I think Drew Drogi sat behind us. We happened to be in the same theater. That I think. sounds about right. He's always <laughs> um, lurking in the back of a theater, that Drew Drogi. Uh, it's great. Everyone should see The Handmaiden. Uh, I've seen Center Stage, unsurprisingly. Oh, That's I did. That's also pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was so boring when I saw it, but maybe I need to revisit. Yeah. I was been a while. I only saw it when it came out. I haven't seen it since. I remember being like, "Oh, they got some things right." Um, the world of ballet. That's true. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have another. We have an iTunes review. Uh, this comes from Katie Kate seventy nine, and it's titled "Just What we, Just What Need Right Now." It's five stars, and she says, "Smart, insightful, funny, and cathartic. The show touches all the bases for me. It's also great to hear genuine conversation around the portrayal of the queer community in film." Well, thank you, Katie Kate. Uh, we try. We try. <laughs> Let's talk about all the queer films there are. Or we try to be genuine, I guess, at times. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, we thank you. That's <laughs> we have I nothing else to bring to them. We're not like film scholars. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> I only know what I see. That's true. Um, cool. So that's great. If you guys have any, uh, we love hearing from you. If you guys have any emails or any questions for us and you want to challenge us or any suggestions, you can email us at two old queens, T W O old queens at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at two old queen, T W O old queens. Uh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd where I maintain the current ranking system and show all the categories and all that. Crap. And if you're looking for merch, and who isn't, uh, you, we have a lot of, we have a store on T Public. If you just go to T Public and search Two Old Queens, uh, we've got a couple, we've got a, some great fun uh, artwork by Mike Lloyd, and you can get that on a plethora of things a t shirt, a sweatshirt, a tote bag, a, a onesie, a throw pillow, art, or a wall art. It's, uh, it's all there. Go check that out. And then there's our Patreon too now, to uh, patreon.com slash queens. It's the retirement plan where we're looking for like the gayest things ever, but also we do whatever the hell we want. We're still figuring yeah, it out. It's not right just now, movies. we're smack dab in the middle of a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. Yes, yeah, so we're trying to figure what out what is the gayest nightmare of Elm, on Elm Street movie, so. Um, yeah, but for our regular feed next month or next week, I next should week. say, we're doing the David Cronenberg classic, The Brood, Ooh. which is very, fun if i remember correctly but that's it so watch that to get ready it's on yeah. hbo max i believe oh cool all right, all right so that's, that's it, it. Well, thanks for listening guys gals folks we're supposed to say folks thanks thanks for listening, for listening folks. folks thanks all right good bye, bye. Now it's time for credits. We got music by Danny Cohen. Artwork by Connie Shin. And special thanks to Alex Archer and Mike Rennie. Bye. Bye. We didn't get that right. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.